All right, let's move on now to the reading and proclaiming of God's Word. We are in the Gospel of John still, and here we come to a a very famous story about Jesus. And uh, the story is so rich uh, that we're actually going to take it very slow over the next four weeks and really draw out some of the deep truths here. And so we're just going to get to the start of it this week. And uh, if you haven't heard this story before, I do have to give you a spoiler up front that Jesus is going to bring someone back from the dead, his good friend, Lazarus. Jesus is going to bring him back to life. And that's really good. But there's something here in these initial verses that's puzzling. Jesus intentionally delays getting to his friend Lazarus. The question is why? So let's read John chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. God, we're grateful for your word, and we ask that as we hear it and as we sit under it, uh, that you would, by your Spirit, apply it to our lives, uh, that we would hear good news, that we would see Jesus lifted up among us, that we would find him captivating, and that we would desire to follow him, and that we would be led by your Spirit. Uh, Please use this time to make us more like him to unite us together as your people, and to give us a love and passion for your world that you have as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My daughter, uh, Ray Lynn, has what doctors describe as a severe peanut allergy. And we found this out after a a decent reaction on her first birthday, first birthday party to a, a cake that we bought. And so uh, when we found it out, we got Benadryl and we, and we got an EpiPen, right, just to be safe. It was prescribed for her. And every once in a while, she would get a hive or two and we'd know, oh, okay, she's been exposed to peanuts somehow. Nothing too serious. But then one day, years ago, we actually had a church Easter egg hunt in a park in Los Gatos. Everyone brought their own candies in little eggs, right? 
And all the little kids did the, did the egg hunt. And somehow, Ray got serious exposure to peanuts. And so it started out that she was just kind of lethargic. Uh, and then she got hives. And then she was coughing. And we were all cleaning up. There weren't very many people around. And so Aaron shows me what's going on. And I run to my car where there is supposed to be Benadryl in the glove compartment. Uh, and I didn't see it. I couldn't find it. Of course, it was there all along right in front of my eyes, but I didn't see it. So I go back. And I'm like, it's, it's not there. So then Aaron takes Ray to her car, decides to drive her home to get her some Benadryl. A few minutes later, as I'm still cleaning up, cleaning up in the park, I get a call from her. She says that Ray is having trouble breathing and that she's pulled over to the side of the road and she tried giving her the EpiPen, but the EpiPen exploded in her face. And she's asking me, what should she do? And I told her, call 911 right now. She needs an ambulance. Then I ran to my car and I planned to just drive towards home and I'm going to look for them pulled over somewhere on the side of the road. But I did not drive calmly. I've never broken so many traffic laws, driven so fast and so recklessly. My daughter could be dying on the side of the road. I'm going to get to her as fast as I can. Because that's what I do when people I love are in danger. Ray ended up fine. Aaron got her home, gave her the Benadryl, and it did all clear up. But imagine if instead of me rushing home to find them, I decided to go out, do a few errands, get some in and out maybe, have a beer at a bar, watch a game, then head home hours later. What would that have communicated? In this passage, which level of concern did Jesus communicate to the sisters, Mary and Martha, whose brother Lazarus was dying? And what are we to think of Jesus when we sense his absence, when he appears to delay, when he doesn't show up, when he permits terrible things to happen in our lives and in the world? And if you're not a Christian, this seeming delay or absence or inaction is likely one of your primary reasons for not believing. What are we supposed to conclude? Amazingly, counterintuitively, we are supposed to conclude that Jesus loves us dearly. In his delay, in his absence, in his inaction, in his silence, He's loving us. So that's what we're going to talk about today, this passage. First, what does his delay mean here in this passage, in this story? Then secondly, what does that delay mean in our lives when we sense his delay? And then thirdly, how do we live in the midst of that delay? So first, the delay in this passage. Right There's this family of three siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Jesus knew them. Already In the Gospel of Luke, we read about Jesus spending time at their place. There we even see Mary sitting at Jesus' feet like one of his disciples, but they don't follow him around like his disciples do. They love Jesus, and so they get word to him. 
there right outside Jerusalem. He's at least a day's journey away on the other side of the Jordan. They get word to him. They send a messenger to him that Lazarus, their brother, is sick. The one whom you love is sick. And when Jesus hears the news, he says out loud, we don't know who he says it to specifically, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Okay, good. That's relieving. Lazarus is going to be okay. Jesus said the illness does not lead to death. But two days later, Jesus tells his disciples plainly in verse 14, Lazarus has died. What? You said this wouldn't lead to death, Jesus. Well, Jesus knew supernaturally Lazarus had died. In fact, it's possible Lazarus was already dead by the time the messenger got to Jesus. But what sticks out to us is this delay. Verse 6, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Why? Why did Jesus linger and delay? Well, verse 6 starts with a so or therefore. It can be translated either way. And as some of you have heard, when you see a therefore, you need to ask what it's there for. Well, it follows from verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Why the delay? Because Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And you could actually translate it, really loved. He really loved them. So, therefore, when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. Because he loved them. Clear as mud? The delay seems to all be a part of his plan. He says this illness will not end in death. And then two days of waiting, he tells his disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. If he intended to bring him back to life, why wait? Why the delay? Because he loved them. But how in delaying does Jesus love them? Well, the answer is, the delay gets Jesus to the cross. This gets Jesus to the cross. In verse 4, again, Jesus says, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And in the Gospel of John, the ultimate expression of God's glory is the death and resurrection of the Son of God, Jesus. God is glorified by His Son willingly giving up His life for His creation. And this threat to Jesus' life has been slowly growing throughout the gospel since chapter 5. It's been in the background. Just in our previous passage, the crowds made a move to stone Jesus. Danger for Jesus in drawing near to Jerusalem looms over this story. And here in today's passage, when Jesus says, let's go back to Judea, his disciples respond, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going to go there again? And his disciple Thomas says, let us also go, that we may die with him. So it's not just that Jesus is going to do a stupendous miracle by raising Lazarus, and by that God will be glorified. It is that this will force the Jerusalem leaders to deal with Jesus once and for all. And we'll see that that happens at the end of this chapter. The conclusion of the story of raising Lazarus is that the religious authorities meet to decide to have Jesus killed. 
Now, why? Why after this raising of Lazarus? Well, Jesus is going to come to this village of Bethany, right, just two miles from Jerusalem. And he's going to bring back to life someone who has been dead and buried for four days. That's what we read at the end of the passage. Four days. There are plenty of confirmed accounts of people being mistakenly declared dead or considered dead, and they actually wake up in the morgue, right? It happens these days. It must have happened some back then. Two other times Jesus brought back someone from the dead in the Gospels. Both were children. Both happened the day they died. That can be explained away or dismissed. This is four days. As we will see, the tomb was sealed. The corpse was rotting. It smelled already. This will be a public miracle in the vicinity of Jerusalem that no one can explain away or ignore. The authorities will have to destroy Jesus. And it is in direct response to raising Lazarus four days after dying. Jesus waited two days because he loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. He had to get to the cross to die and rise so that he could forever save Martha and Mary and Lazarus and everyone else he loved. He really loved them. And so therefore he waited two days. That's why in this passage there's a delay. Now, What does that mean for us in our lives? What about Jesus' delay in our lives when Jesus seems absent or inactive, delayed? Something that you've longed for and been praying for for a long time, like having a spouse or a child. Something that hurts and causes pain, a sickness or emotional anguish. A basic need like housing or a job. Something that seems obviously good, like the salvation of a child or a close family member. Or simply wanting to mature and get over a particular bad habit or sinful practice. You're working toward these things and you're praying about them and Jesus is nowhere to be seen. At least, that's how it feels. No movement. No change. Jesus and his power seem absent in this area. He's somewhere else. What's going on? Well, we can jump to a few incorrect conclusions. And the first might be, I'm doing something wrong, right? The reason why Jesus is delayed and not answering my prayers and requests is because I'm not being obedient enough. I'm not good enough. I don't love him enough. And that's wrong. With just one caveat we'll get to in a moment. But generally, that's wrong. And our author, John, starts this passage in a particular way to counter this mistaken belief that the more obedient and worshipful you are, the more blessings and answers to prayer you'll receive. He starts verse 2 by saying, It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Now, this is a famous scene recorded in all four Gospels. We haven't even gotten to it yet in John. This is one of the greatest acts of devotion toward Jesus recorded in the Bible. We see in Luke 10 how Mary and Martha loved Jesus. In this gospel, you get the sense that these were Jesus' favorite people. They loved him more and better than his actual disciples did, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And he waited two days. He delayed. He didn't rush to them. 
He loved them, and he waited. See, we want to believe that the better I perform, the more attentive Jesus will be to me. And the corollary is, if Jesus isn't being attentive to me, I must not be performing well. I should do better, try harder. Jesus' love depends on my performance. That's a lie, as this passage shows. He delayed for the people who loved him best and most. Jesus isn't withholding love from you for being a mediocre or shabby Christian. Let me say that again. Jesus is not withholding love from you for being a mediocre Christian. And that's good news. Now, here's the caveat. Jesus' presence and attentiveness in our lives is not dependent upon our performance. But our experience of Jesus' presence and attentiveness in our lives does usually depend on us having faith and repentance. If we are not exercising faith or practicing repentance, we will usually not experience Jesus' presence and attentiveness. He's there, he's with us, but we aren't open to him. But faith and repentance are not works. It's not performance. How much do you need? How much of faith and repentance do you need? More than zero. A mustard seed's worth, Jesus says. Something as simple as turning and saying, I am a mediocre Christian. Jesus, Lamb of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Simple, true, not a performance. Here's another wrong conclusion. Jesus just isn't capable or interested. It's not that there's something wrong with you, there's something wrong with him. He's incompetent. And that might have been what Mary and Martha were thinking, right? When Jesus said this illness would not end in death, but it's for the glory of God, we don't know who he said that to. But it's possible that the messenger heard what Jesus said, and then he took that message back to Mary and Martha. And when that messenger got to them, Lazarus was probably already dead. So imagine the sisters hearing that word from Jesus, your brother Lazarus, this will not end in death for Lazarus. And Lazarus is already dead. Imagine them thinking, wow, Jesus, you got that one wrong. In fact, next week in in the next passage, we'll see how their reaction to him kind of suggests this, that they, they kind of thought, well, I guess he just weren't strong enough to do this for us. But we see that what was going on behind the scenes with Jesus, we know he had a plan all along. His intentions were set. He's in control and he knows what he's doing. Something I realized preparing this week, we see an incredibly rich picture of Jesus in the four Gospels. We get a great sense of his personality and emotional makeup. We see him express the full range of human emotion, right? Anger, frustration, fear, fatigue, joy, laughter, sadness. You know one thing we never see from Jesus? Panic. He never panics. He gets word his good friend Lazarus is ill. He doesn't panic. What's the first thing you're supposed to do in a crisis or an emergency? First, don't panic. Jesus doesn't get unhinged. He doesn't get flummoxed. 
because he knows what he's doing. Now, this doesn't make him cold or disinterested. In fact, we'll see him weep before Lazarus' tomb, knowing that in just a few moments, he's going to raise him from the dead. He weeps over a friend he's about to heal. So Jesus is soft-hearted, but he doesn't panic. Jesus is locked in. He is not surprised by our brokenness and sin. He is not surprised by suffering and death. He doesn't panic in the face of it. And therefore, he can remain focused on his mission, loving us and glorifying his Father. And sometimes that means waiting two days. That's what the passage says Jesus is doing here. He is working for God's glory and loving Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. These work together, his love and God's glory. But we often think that they are opposed, that Jesus can either love us and answer our prayers or work for the greater glory of God. Good Christians know to always couch their prayers in language that says God's will should be done and he should get all the glory. But the subtext can be my thriving and happiness doesn't matter as much to God as his own glory. Sort of a zero-sum game. My good or God's glory. But that's totally unbiblical and not true. Early in 2018, a couple from Colorado, Tanner, Broadwell, and Nikki Walsh, they quit their jobs. They sold everything they had, and with that, they bought a sailboat to sail around the world. Didn't know how to sail, by the way. And as they were just getting started learning how to sail, they capsized their boat in a shallow channel off the coast of Florida. In their first week, they lost everything, all of their possessions except their phones and their social security cards. The boat destroyed. And they actually have to pay for it to be taken out of the channel with money they don't have. This was their dream. They put all they had into this, all their eggs in this basket. This was their glory. And it was smashed. Going back to the first chapter of John. In making all things through the Son, and the Son taking on flesh and entering creation, God was putting all his eggs in this basket, us. God's glory is in our glorification. And as as his last greatest creation, we uniquely bear God's image. It is in our restoration and glorification that God is glorified. And here in the Gospel of John, God's glory is defined as the Son of God going willingly to the cross. God as man using man's own torture device to overturn death and save us. God's glory is all about our joy and thriving. They are not opposed. And not just because we are his image bearers and creatures. We are the bride of Christ. We must be made glorious for the bridegroom, Jesus We are God's glory, which is why he became one of us. So we're not pawns in some kind of glory match. God's love for us and his determination to be glorified are not in tension. They are perfectly aligned. God's glory is never contrary to our good and is never at odds with his love for us. Never. 
But we do have to know where we are in the story, right? Because bad things do keep happening in this world, don't they? And to us, and to God's people. Lazarus, though he was brought back to life, he did ultimately die again. Lazarus is not still walking the earth. So this is not the time of the story when God stops all bad things from happening. This is the time in the story when God absorbs all bad things in Jesus in order to overcome them and even work through them. And now he sends out his people to proclaim and live that message, sharing in the sufferings of Christ, in order that all those who are God's will be drawn to him. Only then will a time come when all bad things end. So right now, God is using everything to bring us and the whole world to that good ending. What you can know for sure right now is that the things Jesus permits in your life or withholds will ultimately work for your good and God's glory. What will reveal God's glory in your life will also work for your good. However you might experience Jesus' delays, they happen because he loves you and will see God glorified in you. Okay, so then that's, what's, that's what it means for us. That's what, God's, that's what Jesus' delay means for us in our lives. So then if that's what we're experiencing, how do we live? How do we live with that delay? When it feels like Jesus is absent, delaying, not doing what an all-good, all-powerful God should be doing in our, in our minds, what we expect an all-good, all-powerful God should be doing, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to live? We'll start where Mary and Martha start in verse 3. The sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And that's an interesting message when you think about it, right? What don't they say? They didn't say, please come, or please do something. Although that was probably implied, but at its basic level, this message is simply bringing an expression of concern or need to Jesus. And perhaps more of our prayers should be structured this way. We don't need to give detailed descriptions or instructions on what should happen or what the outcome should be. We bring things to Jesus we know he cares about and loves to work through. You can pray it for yourself and others. Jesus, the one you love is lonely. Jesus, the one you love feels like a failure. Jesus, the one you love needs to provide for their family. Jesus, the one you love is struggling to obey your word. Uh, Maybe you don't know if this person trusts Jesus. You can pray, Jesus, the one you made doesn't know you. Jesus, the one you made, is making self-destructive choices. Jesus, the one you made, is dying without you. The longer a situation lasts, right, the more tempted we are to give up praying about it. Either we aren't good enough or Jesus isn't good enough to do anything about it. That's what we think. But instead, use this template to connect to Jesus. And one of the primary things Jesus teaches about prayer is to persist in it. Persist. Jesus, the one you love, is ill. That got Jesus' attention. 
And his response might have gotten back to Mary and Martha, like we talked about. And what do you think those two or three days were like for Mary and Martha, where they had to sit with Jesus' words that Lazarus' illness would not end in death, but was for the glory of God? How could they have not concluded that Jesus' word had failed? But yet we'll see it didn't actually fail, right? You've probably heard this before, but we all need to hear it again. Do not let your circumstances interpret God's word and promises to you, right? Don't read God's word and promises through your circumstances. Instead, interpret your circumstances through God's word and promises. This means that no matter how bad our circumstances might be, God's word and promises trump them, no matter what, even death. Larry King, the famous TV radio show talk host, he died last year. But a few years before that, he spoke about death in an interview. And he revealed that he had arranged to have his body frozen uh, upon death and then thawed out when researchers discover a cure for whatever killed him, the so-called cryonics approach. He admitted that he thought the people behind cryonics are quote-unquote nuts. But he said at least... If he knows he will be frozen, he will die with a shred of hope. And then he says, other people have no hope. (laughs) Being frozen is what gives you hope. No other hope otherwise in the face of death. Not true. God's love for us and the pursuit of his glory does not end in our death, but it does go through our death. We are all dying But we see here how death does not stop Jesus. It doesn't keep him from loving us and making us who he wants us to be. We can trust Jesus with our own death. And we can trust Jesus with the death of our loved ones. He is committed to God's glory and your good. He loves you. You will not be disappointed. If you can trust Jesus with death, then you can follow him even when he seems absent or delayed. Like Thomas, Jesus' disciple. He didn't know how true his words were when he said, let us also go that we may die with him, right? Thomas disagreed with Jesus' decision. He thought he was crazy for going back towards Jerusalem where people wanted to kill him, but he loved Jesus. He didn't understand him, but he was willing to follow him. One commentator said, to follow Jesus is to die with him. And it can feel like death when Jesus delays and we try to stick with him. It can feel like death, but that's okay. He has conquered death. You can trust him with death. You can trust him with delays. You can still go with him to Jerusalem. He's not panicking, and you don't have to panic either. His delay that feels like death is drawing you to his cross, and that's where you will find him. One more thing, we're talking a lot about Jesus loving his people, people who already want to be with Jesus, but the invitation is actually open for anyone and everyone to come to him on the same terms. You entrust yourself to him, he gives you his eternal love. 
And what that love does is take all that you've done and all that's been done to you, all that time before you knew Jesus, and it is turned and used for your good and God's glory. It's as if his resurrection power works backwards through time in your life. Because while you might have just begun to love and trust Jesus, he's always loved you. I know I've told this story before about how I got out to California back in 1999. It was late June. I was finishing up my first job, my first year out of college, and I didn't like it. I had a good offer from them. They wanted to keep me on, but I knew I couldn't stay. I had to go, and I told them I wasn't coming back, but I didn't know what I was going to do. I was actually just kind of waiting waiting to hear something from God, praying about it. Randomly, my dad asks me to go to San Francisco with him at the end of July for a nice father-son weekend. Sure, that'd be great. I mean, what else do I have to do? Then one day, in my office in late June, it hits me. I should try to teach at a Christian high school. Okay, sounds awesome. I get online, get a list of schools that uh, need a social studies teacher, right? But it's late June. Schools have already filled their roster already. Only one school called me back. The King's Academy in Sunnyvale, California. No idea where that was. So we had a phone conversation, and towards the end of the phone conversation, I asked, where is Sunnyvale anyway? Right? I'm willing to go anywhere. I don't care, and I assume this is going to be some podunk rural town, right? I'd say, oh, it's a you know, San Francisco Bay Area, Silicon Valley, actually. I tell them, I'm going to be out there in a few weeks. And they say, well, you've got to come in for an in-person interview. I'm like, oh, great, great. And there in that interview in late July, they hired me on the spot. That's how I got here. I had a plane ticket to my interview before I even knew what I was interviewing for. That's what God is doing with our lives. He is taking us to a glorious, beautiful destination. And everything that happens in our lives has meaning on its own, but everything also is a plane ticket to where God is taking us. He uses it all. We can't see it all clearly right now, but one day we will. Can we trust him until then? So this is, this is the end. We have to get the order right. Verses 5 and 6. We mess it up. We, we turn it around. We want to read it this way. When he heard Lazarus was ill, Jesus stayed two days longer where he was. But he actually did love Martha and her sister and Lazarus, despite appearances. That's the wrong order. This is the right order. Jesus really loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, so he stayed where he was two more days. Get the order right. Practice saying it to yourself and to each other. Jesus really does love you. That's the only reason why he's not doing what you think he ought to be doing right now in your life. You are his glory. We are his bride, and not even death can keep you from him. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for this word. We are grateful uh, to learn that your son Jesus loves us uh, with an everlasting love and a passion. And so we ask that you would help us to be patient and to wait and, and to have faith and to trust that when he seems absent or when he seems delayed, uh, that we would know that he is only doing this out of love for us. Please give us eyes of faith to see and to trust your promises 
through whatever circumstances we are facing, that we might be able to bring good news to whoever is suffering, to whoever is hurting, to whoever is doubting and asking questions. Help us to be a community of hope and faith and love and life where Jesus is evident. It's in his name we pray. Amen.